Hello everyone and welcome to my podcast Outsmart the Pain. I am so happy for everyone that has followed and listened to every episode. And I am also very glad for the one just listening to a single one. Everyone is welcome. And if this is the first episode you listen to, you are especially welcome and I hope you will enjoy this one so much you want to listen to more of them. I make this pod completely by myself. Well, of course that is not true. The people I interview are most important. But what I mean is that I record, edit and publish Outsmart the Pain by myself. So far there is no sponsor, so you have to accept that the sound sometimes is kind of bad, just like my so-called jokes are. And I have no costly spam filter on my server, which means that on every real mail I get around 100 spam mails from people who change name every time they send send them, but they want to increase traffic to my site or want to sell me Bitcoin or send me those intimate photos I promised. I get so tired. So I beg for forgiveness if you write and I do not answer. Then your mail unfortunately drowned among the spam ones. Write again, maybe with a title like I am a real person, now listen. My email is info at karstenalbeck.com But hopefully the subjects I talk about are interesting. And they are not only about pain. It could actually be about hmm, just anything. Last week I got an email from a new listener who wrote I am a personal trainer. I have listened to many of your episodes and I find them really good. They give hope, explain, clarify, are funny and have exciting mixed contents. And the length is optimal. I just wanted to give you a high five for them. So my dear listener, thank you so much. This gives me energy to continue. So, here we go. I will tell you what you will be listening to today. Pain is some serious business. It ain't everyone who knows what to do about it. Now I hear there's a podcast just about this. It doesn't talk of pain alone, but other interesting things distracting the mind from it. So I suggest you tune in to Outsmart the Pain and listen to what Karsten has to say about it. Get ahead. Get it done. Listen to the podcast, and maybe change your life, or someone else's. One of my goals as a doctor is to close the gap between the healthcare professional, mostly the doctor, since I am a doctor, and the patient, or the person interested in what the doctor does. What is that gap then, you ask? Well, it could be a number of things. Explanations that are too complicated to understand, things that really are not science, scientifically proven, or even what usually happens, but sometimes the doctor presents something as being the truth just because he or she thinks so personally. 
it could be some missing information. So even if everything the doctor says is right, the logical jump to the situation the patient is in is not so easily understood. But it is not only from the doctor's side, so to say. It is also how expectations or demands from the patient really doesn't fit the model the doctor tries to use. For instance, if someone says, I want to be pain-free, I would say, it's not possible, life hurts. Sometimes I joke around and say, wow, you are so lucky because you met an anesthetist. I can put you to sleep. Should I wake you up more often than for your birthday and Christmas? And I just say that when I think the recipient thinks it's funny. So I guess it happened once or twice. And of course, most of the examples I give is regarding pain. But since I am an anesthetist, I would not have anything against talking about things happening being an anesthetist, which some of you already have experienced if you listened to previous episodes. So then, what about today's episode, with the crazy title, Crazy Pain, Crazy Patient or Crazy Doctor? It is a clickbait, I admit. But talking about pain, there is so much strange in this business. So, either the person having it thinks it's crazy. The doctor listening to the story about that pain, which jumps around the body, might think the patient is crazy, or at least complaining too much. And the person getting advice might think the doctor is crazy. Now, why should losing weight help me when I had pain before I gained weight, and so on. And this I will talk about today with a lot of different examples. Let me start with a horrifying story, totally true. And by the way, I have asked patients if it is okay if I share their story, if they can't be traced. I change some traits like age or gender or occupation or whatever, but still the patient could be listening and think, wow, that's me so I don't want them to feel exposed. But they are all overwhelmingly positive to sharing their stories. So thank you all the ones I have met who want me to tell others and help them. Thank you for your support. And that might also be the big difference between me and other doctors giving advice like this or in a book. I take real patient experiences and share them. Nothing is made up ever. Anyway, this was a young woman who had back pain and finally decided to get back surgery. Not a big one, but on one level where they would fix a disc. When she woke up after surgery, she had excruciating pain in her leg, burning like fire. It was a new pain and there was no painkiller which really helped her. So the surgeon did another MRI scan and it revealed that there was a narrow space for one of the nerves due to calcification, so they could make it wider through another surgery. Here comes my first question. Do you think that narrow space due to age, although she was quite young, developed during surgery? Of course not. It was something they found when checking but it had probably been there long before and then not causing pain. But three weeks after the first surgery, she got another one. What do you think happened? Not one iota better. 
maybe even worse. Still a lot of pain. When you have this burning pain down one of your legs, which follows a nerve's course, it is of course nerve pain. Which medication did she get for this initially? Opioids, oxycodone, which, if you read my book or listen to one of my first episodes, does not help very well against nerve pain. And when it does not help, what does the surgeon do? Increases the dose. So the dose was high, giving constipation, dizziness, etc., but no pain relief. Then some health personnel decided that now you really need to lower the medication. So they cut the oxycodone in half. Now she got abstinence symptoms. Sweating, freezing, fast heart beating. She lost part of her memory at times and she could not contain her pain. At night she screamed right out and also said strange things due to abstinence. The neighbors called the police who took her husband to the station because they thought he was beating her. He was quickly released, but everything that you are hearing started due to pain. So what happened? Well, since she was in pain and did not get better, she asked another orthopedic surgeon what to do. Guess what? I can see something on the MRI scan, why not try another surgery? But they did think about discussing it with a pain doctor and she was sent to me. And by the way, this was not at my hospital because we do not perform back surgeries. This woman was terrified of getting another surgery. But since the expert said she should have surgery, she did. And she actually told me, I wish there was an expert who could tell me I can get better without surgery. I told her what I tell all my patients. No promises, but I would not meet a patient I do not think I can help. My time is very, very limited, so I need to meet patients I think I can help. No, it does not mean I only meet easy ones, but I am not Harry Potter or Jesus. If someone already saw a pain specialist try different things in the same manner I do, I probably have not much more to offer. So you are here because I think I can help, I tell the patient. Anyway, I also told her no promises, but I said that if you could try medication first, you can wait with surgery to see how it works. Of course, I need to speak with the orthopedic surgeon to see if I judge this correctly. Maybe they say the surgery is crucial in time. But I never let it become a fight over who's right but a very respectful conversation between colleagues and I admire good orthopedic surgeons and they are always happy to try something else before surgery, if possible. And even if a patient needs surgery, with the right medication they might be a bit protected for the pain related to surgery as well. Win-win. I have a colleague who is a psychiatrist. I always refer to him as my psychiatrist to see if people I talk to look uncertain. Anyway, he says that he is so amazed that people can stop taking medication as soon as they feel just a tad bit of side effects, but they are willing to put metal into their spine, which cannot be reversed just like that. And maybe there is something to his words. 
Medication can be stopped. Surgery cannot be undone. I wouldn't have to say this, but just so you do not misunderstand me, I am not opposed to surgery per se. If you really need one, and especially emergency ones, say you lost your sensation around your genitals and you cannot pass urine anymore due to a spine problem, then you need surgery in a hurry. But I am talking about elective surgery where the evidence is not evident. So what about this crazy pain then? Back surgery after back pain, but it increased. What is it? What was my alternative explanation and what will happen in the future? My guess, and it is a guess, is that during the first surgery some nerves were affected. Not cut off because her muscles were okay and probably not even tampered with very much, but enough for the pain to start. If you know my brain pain drawing, you know that I refer to something called the pain filter. If you have persistent pain, you might have a weaker pain filter, which means that much less trauma is needed to create pain. Sometimes ordinary touch generates pain. So in this case, I would not be surprised if she had a weak pain filter due to persistent pain for a longer time before, and when the nerves were tampered with, the pain started. Also, if you have read or heard me before, you know that the correlation between what you see on an MRI scan of the spine and the pain you have is very low. I had a patient case in my book. A 63-year-old woman who had back pain radiating down one leg. She did 10 examinations at 10 different radiology clinics. The images and evaluations were then checked by a neutral radiologist because this was to become a published study. There were no less than 49 different descriptions of pathology in the spine and not one single description was the same for all 10 clinics. You can hear about disc protrusions, disc hernias, black discs, foraminal stenosis, spinal stenosis and a lot more things which have nothing to do with the pain a person experiences. But still, my patient had pain and they did another MRI scan and saw a narrowing in the skeleton which they thought affected the nerve. That narrowing had been there before, I promise. So another surgery and they keep touching that nerve which already is in pain. No wonder it gets worse. And with a weak pain filter the pain can spread. Both legs, back, neck, hips etc. And then it really gets crazy because no one can explain it. And the worst case scenario, you follow the pain with more examinations. Hip pain, why not check the hip? Oh, you have arthrosis in the hip, we might need to do a surgery, and so on. Be careful. But is everything bad then? Was everything done in vain? No. And I think what I'm going to say now is just as important as what I said before. Even if you are still in pain, if the orthopedic surgeon is satisfied with the result, 
that is that it looks good on the x-ray or MRI scan or whatever then that is terrific because you never know what would have happened five years from now maybe you needed that surgery after all and now you know that it looks okay in the back so you do not need to worry about the looks anymore it is stable no nerves are being jammed therefore the pain has definitely not anything to do with the anatomical space you need to disconnect the pain from the picture just focus on what to do with the pain now and what can one do well since i am a physician there is some pill talk here you need to make sure you take the right kind of medication if there is nerve pain skip the opioids and take things that work might sound wrong or even crazy but antidepressants work against nerve pain as an example not all but the ones increasing the noradrenaline and they do not work because you get happy but because they work on the pain so don't say no just because someone calls these pills antidepressants although you do not use it for that reason Apart from pills, there are of course other treatments out there. I will not get into details here, but talk to your physician, physiotherapist or any healthcare professional you have trust in and get some good advice. But physical exercise is so important for the pain system. You actually get more pain if you are inactive. Start by activity, physical and for that matter mental. And if you can increase from activity to exercise, do so. Believe me, it will hurt in the beginning, but it will get better. Of course, you need to exclude reasons you should not exercise. So discuss this with your doctor. But resting from pain or listen to your body? Nah. If those are the pieces of advice you get, then start exercising wisely instead. Another thing I often talk about is the relationship between events and pain. We doctors have read so many things in med school and throughout all exams we learn what is right because that gives us a point at the test and what is wrong because that gives us no point at the test. What are the signs and symptoms for a specific disease? If you get this lab result, what are your thoughts zooming in on? Which disease is it? Which disease is it not? Our education usually separates diseases. You have one at a time. When you have the endocrinology course, you read about hypothyreosis and diabetes. In surgery or oncology, you talk about bowel cancer. In medicine, you talk about hypertension. But what happens when diseases are mixed, when you have more than one? Does one disease affect the other? Does it affect the medication? What happens if the patient wants to focus on one disease and not the other? What happens if the doctor and the patient do not agree on what to do? And we also learn that there is no in-between in med school. So if a patient describes something we did not learn, many times we say, ah, oh, it could not be related to your disease. So, since this is a pod about pain, I will take some pain examples. 
A patient was getting treatment for a certain type of blood cancer and was given chemotherapy. She complained of a burning pain throughout the body. Her hematologist said it was not related with her treatment because it had never been described before. The good thing, she was sent to a pain clinic. I had never heard about that particular chemotherapy agent because it was quite new and when I looked it up it was also in the early stages of treating neuropathic pain. So how could it cause pain? And I could find no case reports on patients getting pain because of this. So I met the patient and she told me that treatment 1 and 2 went very well. But 30 minutes after the third one, it felt like someone started a torch, pain throughout her body. Now, in my world, there could be a connection here, in time, pretty obvious. On the other hand, different things can actually happen at once by chance. But there was really no other reason for her to suddenly get this pain. So I told her, I do not know why this happened. And it seems like no one else does either because it has not been described in the literature before. But I think you are perfectly right in your thought that the pain is connected to your treatment. I will treat this as a nerve pain. And I started with a standard medication. Guess what? Her pain disappeared. I still don't know why she was affected in a way no one else seemed to be. But still, believe the patient. And talking about believing patients, sometimes they know things before the rest of us do. One of the most used drugs around the world is paracetamol or acetaminophen. Same thing, different names. There were some patients, especially elderly, who said that if they took half a tablet or something like that at night, they could sleep better. We doctors kind of smiled on that thought because although the mechanism of action was not known, we knew this drug was not acting on the brain, therefore not the sleep center. But the tablet in that small dose did not have side effects, so why not let the people think they get sleepy and use it? And today we know that paracetamol does have a central effect that is affecting our brain. It actually affects something called the cannabinoid receptor in the brain. So it is not impossible at all that some people actually get a bit better sleep on it. They knew it before we did. And sometimes things happen just by chance. Let me take an example. Must be the absolute best case of placebo ever described. Placebo by proxy. I was working at the thoracic surgery unit as an anesthetist. A part of one lung had been removed and at the end of surgery we started an epidural which had been placed in the back of the patient before surgery started. So I applied the epidural before she was put to sleep, tested it with a dose and it worked well. Surgery started and at the end of the surgery some procedure caused the blood pressure to rise and the pulse as well. Indicating that even though the patient was asleep there was some pain. The thoracic surgeon said it probably would be a good time to start the epidural. I worked with a very experienced nurse and I asked her if she had connected the pump to the epidural which she had. We started with a starting dose and the blood pressure returned to normal and so did the pulse. 
and then we continued with an infusion. After a while the surgery was finished and we removed the drapes. Then the nurse and I saw it. Yes, the epidural was connected to the pump, but it was not connected to the patient. There had been some kind of misunderstanding. I asked about connected to the patient and the nurse thought I meant connected to the pump and that I had connected the other part to the patient earlier. So all pain medication had been dripping on the floor instead and still the patient reacted as if he had gotten the medication. So that reaction was just a coincidence and of course had nothing to do with us giving medication to the floor. We quickly had to fix with intravenous pain relief so when the patient woke up he was not in pain and we managed. But in that case we were fooled on so many levels. Crazy pain. When I was working one summer in the UK, suddenly a very well-dressed man in a suit peeked into the operating theater. Dr. Albeck, when you are finished, could I please have a word with you? Oh, that did not feel right. A polite Englishman in a suit wanting to talk to me? After surgery I met him and he presented him as being in charge of some kind of investigation. I had put someone to sleep and after surgery, awakening and transported to the ward, he went crazy. The patient, not the man in the suit. They had to call something that sounded like the critical emergency evaluation medical comprehensive many people team who visited the patient at night. So the question was if I had used any drug or had done something to cause this. They did not even know if he was in pain at night, he was just... Uh, crazy. So I did some investigation, called some relatives etc. And to make a long story short, the man was suffering from dementia. But his relatives always covered for him and they really thought he needed this surgery so they did not want such a diagnosis to stop the surgery. I did not evaluate the patient before surgery, a colleague had done that and I was only to do the anesthesia. And when I visited him later on at the ward, I got to understand he did not understand where he was. Of course he panicked. I don't know if that was crazy pain or crazy patient or crazy relatives. But again, we can get fooled by so many things in the surrounding. I probably would have thought that he was like that because of pain. And the guy in the suit obviously thought I gave him some drug affecting him, his brain. I think I will drift a little bit here. Uh, they never apologized or saying their first thoughts were wrong. But although I remember it now and I promise I'm not mad or angry about that. But again, at workplaces we would feel so much better if we told each other things that make us feel better once in a while. Maybe that is your thing after listening to this. A challenge. Tell someone you appreciate something they're doing. Tell someone who you usually don't speak to and of course it needs to be true. Okay, I got lost uh, there. Back on track. We talked about strange pain. The back pain getting worse after surgery which was supposed to make it better. Uh, the chemotherapeutic agent which, which caused pain but shouldn't have. 
pain treatment in the air, which obviously did not help, but we were fooled it did. The patient with dementia who acted strange. And I talked about us not knowing everything about how pain medication actually works. And like I said earlier, sometimes we physicians do not know the answer. Not strange, we cannot know everything. And although we always think we are at the peak of development and smile at how we were thinking 100 years ago, I am sure people will look back 100 years from now and wonder how we actually thought. For instance, I am sure we will know so much more about our stomach and gastrointestinal tract than we know today. All these stomach pains that cannot be explained, at least not physically. We will know more in the future. And if we don't know, how should we doctors say this to the patient? I don't have the right answer, but I do not think that we should say that a particular pain is not related to whatever symptom, just because we do not understand how that would work. If the patient sees a connection, there is a connection. If you are a doctor and say that there is none, but the patient still feels that is the case, he or she will either think they are going crazy or that the doctor does not listen. And how did we gain anything on that? For instance, I have had a couple of patients describing their headache. I probably remember it because both of them had a similar story. They had a pain in the neck of their head. And when that started, they could feel a specific point around the temple which also started hurting. When they asked their doctor about it, and no, it was not the same doctor, he or she said that there could be no connection. The nerves at the back of the head are called the occipital nerves, and at the temple region there are completely different ones. So how could it be connected? So now the patient thinks that it is all in the head, pun intended, or that the doctor does not know what he or she is talking about. What do I say instead? Well, anatomically, the nerves for these different places do not connect, so your doctor is right. I say this because I want to confirm their original doctor. Never tell anyone they have a bad doctor just because you do things differently. Then I say that I do not fully understand how the pain is connected, but if you say it's connected, of course it is. Maybe it is the muscle between the two nerves that gets strained and therefore transfers pain, so to say. Maybe the nerves connect somewhere else and give false signals, just like a heart attack can be felt in the left arm. Actually, I have a thing where I feel it itches somewhere, but when I scratch myself over that area, nothing happens. I need to scratch somewhere else to make it go away. Hmm, I wonder if that is only me. But anyway, in that, that case, I am sure it has to do with how the nerves connect in the spinal cord and how the signals are misinterpreted by the brain. So it is nothing strange with experiencing a th connection, although the doctor cannot explain it. But the treatment is usually not different because of this. Your doctor does not miss anything because they cannot explain the strange sensation. So my advice is, make no big deal out of you knowing something the doctor does not acknowledge if it's not important for the treatment. And if you are a doctor, don't be so stubborn about things you are not certain of.
So again, what is the purpose of this particular episode? Well, actually, for some extent, it is just something for you to listen to, to relax your mind from your ordinary thoughts. Maybe there is something here you find interesting, maybe something you actually learn from it. On a more practical note, these are the things I would like you to think about. If you are someone who are in pain and think it is kind of crazy, it does not behave rationally, you are afraid it is dangerous, you think you have the wrong medication, that the one you have doesn't help and only gives you side effects, maybe you want to find alternatives that do not include medicines. But this strange pain, does that tell the doctor something? Do I need to make other examination? Is it a hint? I have some other disease we have not discussed. Whatever your concerns are, talk to your doctor about these. And if the pain still is crazy, but the doctor tells you it, it does not need more investigation or another medication, be calm in that decision. Of course, there is something called a second opinion. Someone else has a say about the same thing. You are welcome if you have the possibility to ask another doctor about this. But I would be very open with this to my ordinary doctor. Say something like, I am not too sure myself, so I will ask another doctor about this. This is not to say I do not trust you, but I just want to see if there are other opinions out there. Of course, I have no idea what your relationship is with your physician, and maybe there is no possibility of a second opinion where you live. But as for myself, I would never get angry or disappointed at a patient telling me that. It just means that they are involved in their pain, which is a good thing. Maybe you could recommend this pod episode for your doctor, or have them read Outsmart the Pain, if they know Swedish. On the other hand, if you are a doctor and meet a patient with pain which cannot easily be explained, be honest about that. Try not to make the patient afraid. There are different ways of saying, I have no idea what this is. One way only tells the patient you have no idea, but you are not worried. No other signs point towards something dangerous. But the other way of saying it, you have no clue, could leave the patient with a feeling there is something lurking behind somewhere and someone needs to find it. Words are powerful. The only thing I really recommend you not to say is that this can't be or no, this is not what you are feeling or something of that kind. The patient feels what he or she is feeling. Therefore, it is true. The definition of pain is actually that it is a subjective feeling. So an observer cannot objectively say how or how much it hurts. You are more than welcome to say that you can't explain the pain with the things you learned at med school, but that is a completely different matter. And you are of course more than welcome to lift that phone receiver and call a pain specialist to discuss things. Finally, I would like to tell you another true story. Follow me till the end although it will sound quite horrific. If you do not want to hear a horrific story, that's okay. But this was when I was working at the thoracic surgery unit. Not the same patient as I told you about before, when the epidural was not connected. Anyway, this was a woman who was there to diagnose lung cancer. She had had problems with coughing and tried antibiotics. When she did not get better, they made a CT scan which showed a tumor in one of her lungs. 
they made a biopsy to see which type of tumor it was. That is, you go through the chest wall and take a sample and then see what type of cancer cells there are so you know which ty type of treatment you should do. But unfortunately the sample was so called inconclusive. They could not say what it was. There were an inflammatory cells and other, but not a definitive answer on which type of cancer cell. So they decided to do a surgery. Open up, take samples and try to remove as much as possible of the cancer before an eventual radiation therapy and later on maybe chemotherapy. The scan unfortunately showed that the tumor probably was invasive, that is growing into the vessels around the lung. I talked to the patient beforehand, being the anesthetist. How harsh this must sound, but it was exciting and challenging to be the anesthetist on such a, such a surgery. You needed to do a special kind of intubation to later on being able to shut off one lung and only give air to the one not being surged on. And also there was a risk there could be a big bleeding, which the anesthetist has to compensate for. I could talk a whole episode just about the strange things being divided between the professional work which needs 100% attention and can be so interesting and the very sorrow you encounter regarding the patients you treat. Believe me, more stories are to follow in later episodes. Anyway, I talked to her and she was of course very sad having a cancer no one knew how to treat. On the other hand, she was relieved she finally was at the hospital to do the surgery and get some answers. So she was sound asleep, the chest was opened and the very experienced thoracic surgeon started to identify the tumor. He looked and looked and could not find it. And it is not hard to find. The lungs are pinkish, unless you smoke, then they are blackish, but tumors do not look like the rest of the lung. But he could not find it. He asked to see the image file again, and there it was. He wondered if there had been a mix-up with the sides, left and right, so he checked the other lung as well. Nothing. She had perfectly normal lungs. We finished the surgery and woke her up. There is an unspoken rule saying that any other healthcare personnel should not speak about the surgery with the patient before the surgeon has, which is wise. But while she was transferred through the corridor, she looked at me and asked, what did it look like? And we did have a good conversation beforehand, so I knew I would not trespass any boundaries and the surgeon and I were good colleagues as well. So I said, you know what? There was no tumor there. You are perfectly healthy. Her eyes got wide. She raised her arms in the air through the rest of her transportation while shouting, Yes! Yes! Victory! Later on she got to know that it probably was a very aggressive local infection which simulated a tumor on the images, something neither the radiologist or the thoracic surgeon had ever seen before and the initial antibiotics probably had helped, but the image was taken before everything was done. So with this true story, I want to end this episode by saying, never, never give up no matter how things look. You never know what will happen. Now, take care out there, and please continue following me 
And if you find this good, tell other people to do so too. Bye. Thank you.